This summer, with Aer Lingus, you can fly from Minneapolis-St. Paul direct to Dublin, Ireland, the gateway to Europe. Enjoy Ireland's warm hospitality, legendary sights, cosy pubs, food, history and culture, or connect to over 25 really cool European destinations, like Amsterdam, Paris and London. Whether you make Dublin your final destination or a stopover in your journey through Ireland or into Europe, Smart says it's time for Europe. Smart flies Aer Lingus. Book now at aerlingus.com. The rustling of the paper and the snare drum means it's another edition of the Score North Gophers show. Thank you very much for listening wherever you found this podcast. Thank you very much. And you can find it many different ways. So thank you so much for doing so. I am Ross Brendel, joined this time around in the ensemble of characters, and I say that lovingly, Mm -hmm. James Murphy at Murph underscore MN on Twitter, and Daniel House at Daniel House NFL on Twitter. Gentlemen, good to see you both. It's been a little bit, but uh, we got the band back together. You made it back safely. You spent time in Colorado. Yep, I was there for uh, over last weekend, so I made it. I made it back in one piece, and uh, a little, a little sunburn, but nothing, nothing too crazy. Daniel, Des Moines, sunburn. What do you got? <laughs> Des Moines. I was touring the Iowa scene. It's fields of opportunities out there. I didn't even know that was their state slogan. We. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, that makes sense though. Maybe I didn't forgot about it, but we tweeted a little bit back and forth. I love Des Moines. I go there, I don't want to say regularly, but I've been there a few times. Very underrated town. Yeah, I would agree. Like the restaurant scene was impressive. Went to a couple places and I was like, wow, Des Moines is way better than I anticipated it would be. And you had a slice of pizza, right? That's what it sounds like. You ordered some pizza. Yeah, I got the Fong's pizza. Better or worse than a Jack's pizza? Oh, it's better than Jack's. But Jack's, you got to cook that Jack's up to 24 minutes and then talk to me. I still think 24 minutes is an awful lot of time to do that. But your hot tip of cooking it at least a few minutes longer, very good. I think I got mine up, too. I think it says 15. I think I pushed one to, like, 20. It was delicious. 24 seems oh, yeah. too much. Is it is, 20... is it, like, black or what happens <laughs> you know, to like it? It's a little black around the edge, yeah. but you got to have that character, that crispiness. Sure. I think we need to get Daniel and Rami together to do, like, a recipes thing. Yeah. And the best part would be, like, Rami's got, like, pot roast and all this, and Daniel's like, yeah, just put the ramen on the stove and heat it up. Throw Jack's pizza in, you're good to go. You can do some fun stuff with ramen. It doesn't need to be plain. I've I've learned that from being in college for like six years. Well, we've probably beat food into the ground already, and we will segue now to the Gopher men's basketball team. I think that is a perfect place to be for now, perfect thing to recap. Daniel was in Des Moines. Gophers win in round one, getting a nice win over Louisville. Gabe Kelcher, phenomenal, draining threes all over the place. Game two, I mean, maybe you feel a little bit cheated. Gophers fall 70-50 to to Michigan State in the second round. And when I say cheated, I'm, I'm not sure Michigan State got the best effort from the Gophers. But by effort, I just mean a full complement of the entire team. That, of course, being Jordan Murphy, who I know he appeared in the second half, but it was very quick just for a little bit of a swan song is not the right word, but just to get an ovation from the crowd. Other than that, very limited because of his back issues. I'll start with you, Daniel. My first 
question, first overall thought, it's not even team-related. I thought the fan base did a great job. Essentially turned the weekend into a home weekend for the Gopher basketball team. And as we have talked about before on the show, I think the Gophers on the road, neutral courts, not good. But what I'm getting at is I don't think they played at a neutral court. You could clearly hear on TV, at least in the first game, yeah, technically it's a neutral court, but a ton of Gopher fans. It felt like a home game against Louisville. I mean, when they won the game at the end, the crowd just let out this huge roar, and you see Dupree McBrayer dribbling the ball out and just going out in front of the fans and having the moment like – you think about everything that Dupree went through this year, all the adversity of losing his mom and all the stuff that's happened with the program since he's been here, and he gets that moment of finally winning an NCAA tournament game in front of the fans. You got that atmosphere, and you got a lot of Minnesota kids on the team with guys like Coffee and Kelsher has a great game. It was an awesome atmosphere. It didn't feel like an NCAA tournament game at all. It's an easy drive, too. I think you actually, you didn't fly there unless you told me something. You drove down there, which I'm assuming 99.9% of Gopher fans did. A a very favorable draw in location. I also thought, you guys both can chime in on this, I didn't think Louisville was an unfavorable draw. I know a lot of people thought maybe just by name alone that, oh, this is a real tough matchup for them. And initially, I'll be honest, I thought that when I had seen it. Doing a little research, though, going into that game, Louisville was on like a 3-7 and seven run in their last 10. And I wouldn't say things were in shambles, but it definitely wasn't, wasn't hunky-dory. There's a term that I'll use. It wasn't all great <laughs> for Louisville at that time. So I thought it was a good matchup for the Gophers, and it turned out to be so. I think if you kind of tuned out of Louisville basketball when they uh, when they gave up that big lead to Duke, they they were they probably should have beat Duke. And they they if, if that's the last you saw and you saw them on on the the slate against the Gophers, you're probably pretty concerned because of of they were playing a lot better earlier in the season, and you I mean the Gophers they were they were the ten seed so they were the underdog, but. I agree with you, Ross. I don't think that was that bad of a draw, and it showed because Louisville. I mean, Minnesota had the the pieces, even though you were playing with a limited Jordan Murphy at that point because he he had the back injury in the second half. No Mott Stockman, so no bench really at all. No no point guard Isaiah didn't play in that game, but they still were able to to beat them pretty handily. I was thinking about that the other day. This Gophers team, despite not having a bench, not having a point guard. Or really any like secondary support, they managed to make the NCAA tournament and win a game. And Coffee was playing out of position all year. He should have been off ball. He's playing point guard, yet they were still able to win one NCAA tournament game. So last Saturday, Manny Hill and I recorded a gopher pod, a gopher show, almost immediately after the game. And one of his final questions, might have been his closing question to me, is he said, Well, kind of impossible to predict, but where do you think this team is at next year? And off the top of my head, and I've had a little bit more time to think about this, I'm not sure how much better it could be, right? In theory, maybe if you're if you're lucky, maybe you get some favorable draws, you get a little bit of point guard, maybe you're a sweet 16 team next year. That would be awesome. But for what you just said, Daniel, I can't imagine it being any worse. This, in my opinion, should be a tournament team, not to knock the kid down. I won't even necessarily bring up his name, but they got next to nothing at point guard all year. And like you said, to be able to win a tournament game with the talent that you had and 
next to no bench with Eric Curry being out. And then, of course, Stockman ends up not being able to play at all. That's pretty impressive. And for as much as much as you maybe want to jab at Patino a little bit, you have to give him a ton of credit. I mean, the depth is certainly an issue, but to still have a, a core group of players that can overcome that, you know, if you're going to give him, if you're going to jab at him for that, you should also give him credit for having that core that's able to do that. Well, replacing Murphy next year is the big mission, and mm-hmm. you've got a lot of moving pieces coming in at the guard spot with a couple new additions, and they have to fill out a class yet. They don't really have much from a recruiting standpoint yet. So there are a lot of unanswered questions, but there's positive pieces. There's If Coffee doesn't go pro, he's back. Oturu will have a full off season. He couldn't do any strength and conditioning. So if he can add even 10 pounds to that frame, he was playing just off athleticism and skill this year. So they got some good good core pieces coming back. I'm excited next year, and I, I, I listened to uh, you and Manny Hill talk about this, Ross, but – Year two for Gabe Kalsher, I'm really intrigued about that mm-hmm. because I don't think anyone expected Kalsher to blossom the way he did this year, especially down the stretch in the NCAA tournament in that first game. So I think year two, and, and you had mentioned it too, you saw often early in the year Kalsher maybe passing off shots that he should be taking, and he wasn't doing that in against Louisville in, game, in the first game of the NCAA tournament. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to bring to the table in his sophomore season yeah Gabe on defense was just the surprise to me Mm -hmm. he didn't look like a freshman he executed all the details at such a high level that nothing phased the guy the whole year from day one to the end it was pretty impressive if you don't mind let's talk about the Louisville game defensively I know we don't need to break it down entirely but that was to me that was the obviously because they won the game it was a highlight but that might have been the highlight of the year over any over either of the Purdue games or any other game, Kelsher's three to beat Washington was pretty cool. But Daniel, that defense was phenomenal. And you see that and you go, man, if if they can get that 75, 80% of the time, you can win a lot of basketball games just playing defense like that. That was, in my opinion, the Kelsher three-pointers were fun. Everybody was shooting three-pointers. Mm-hmm. Everybody heated up. That was really fun. But the defense was maybe the best takeaway of that game. And I hope... They use that, and this season, this this NCAA tournament run, you hope that that's the building block. I've, I've said this before, but I really do hope that this year is the year you look back in two years or maybe even next year, three years, whatever it is, and you think, oh, that's where Gopher basketball kind of made a turn. Because remember, as far as th- even three weeks ago, really not that far ago, a lot of people were questioning if Richard Pitino was going to be the head coach here. Mm-hmm. We did. Uh, well, obviously, by winning the game, he's obviously assured himself that job. I know you mentioned that there's question marks. But what I'm saying is you would hope that this is a moment that a couple of years down the road, we're all looking back at it going, oh, that's when this became a quote-unquote basketball school or a really good job to have or a good program. I'm hopeful that this becomes a springboard and not just your one win every six years in the NCAA tournament. We'll see if they can start developing some consistency as a program. That's kind of been the theme. They haven't been able to sustain little amounts of success that they've had. Patino's been up and down each season. So now can he build upon what he had happened this year? I think the pieces are there, though, too. Like you, If if you get Amir Coffee back and you'll have the second year for Kalsher for Oturu, 
you'll have hopefully a healthy Eric Curry. I mean, that that's that hasn't happened for a little bit, but ideally he's going to get his uh, his body worked out. But I mean, they they have the core there. You're losing, of course, a great player in Jordan Murphy, and we I remember especially during that Louisville game. Harlan and Reggie Miller were talking about Dupree McBrayer's defense, and mm-hmm. and I really was was astounded with how many positions he was guarding. He was doing a great job. He wasn't contributing so much offensively, but he was playing. I think he played 37, 38 minutes in that game, and he was a hound defensively. So I, I like that they gave him the credit for that, and he got his moment at the end of the game. That was really cool. Well, you look at their wins this year, they were all because of defense, mm-hmm. almost all of them. The Wisconsin, Wisconsin game stands yep, out was yep. the game where they played really good team defense. The Louisville game, like Ross mentioned, you just loved how they hedged ball screens. Like Louisville such a ball screen heavy team. They did all the little things right and just totally smothered Louisville. So I've said before, making the comparison, I think the Gopher football team at bare minimum should go 6-6 six and six every year and go to a bowl game. Some years have pop-up years where they're obviously better than 6-6. Six and six. Am I wrong in thinking that the Gopher basketball team should be, if not every year, four out of five years an NCAA tournament team? Is that an unrealistic expectation? Because I'll submit this to the group. I think it's possible if you don't run into, as we're getting phone calls from somebody, if you don't run into injuries last year and depth issues, okay, you might be in the tournament three years in a row. To me, that's really all I can ask for. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see a Final Four Elite Eight run, and maybe it will happen. But at the bare minimum, just getting to the tournament, I feel like that, am I asking too much, or is that a realistic expectation for this program? Well, they have a lot of talent in this state, so if they recruit well enough, they should be able to get a couple guys to be able to get them into NCAA tournament contention every year. But yet again, the Big Ten Conference is so hard every year that you're going to have to start building some sustainability, some consistency, and that's what this program, like I said, kind of has to do. And I think your your comparison to a six and six uh, go for football team that's just in a bowl every year. I think I think it's easier to make a bowl game yeah. because you're more often than not you're get you're you're giving yourself three victories in the non conference. And so, I don't I don't question that. Yeah. I mean, so there, I think that when eighty when you, teams of the one twenty go to bowl games, right. roughly. <laughs> so I think like yeah that that's I mean that's an expectation that no you're not asking too much for that. I I. I'm not gonna say I don't. I, I think if if uh, if uh, uh, Gopher basketball team does not make the NCAA tournament, that uh, like of, of course that should be the expectation and what your goal is. But I, I think missing one here or there isn't the end of the world, especially when you look at a team where they they've been more of a once every three years kind of team that they make the tournament. Although mm-hmm. I do believe next year, you're you're correct in saying. Their goal should be yes. We should be back in the tournament. We should be. I mean, realistically, they they should be back in the round of thirty-two. I think that's a good uh, expectation to set for yourself after being there this year. I think I think they should definitely aim there. Next year's a big year for this program. It's going to tell us a lot about the next three to five years and what the landscape of Gopher basketball is going to look like. Is this the moment that kind of turns the corner and? gets a little bit moment of momentum going with the program, or do you see that inconsistency again? We got to see next season before we really can determine what the future is going to look like. All right, final thoughts on Gopher basketball before we segue into some Gopher football talk. As I've mentioned numerous times, I love playing the 
long view, let's see how the full season plays out before we really define how the season was. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll go with letter grades. I guess that's maybe the easiest way to do it. I'm going to give the season, I'll go with a B, maybe a B minus. And I know it could have been better, but I really think the season was saved by beating Purdue twice. If you don't beat Purdue at least once, I mean, twice, that's great. But, I mean, we're talking, realistically, if they had lost to Penn State, small chance they're not in the field, or if they are, they're talking the Big Ten tournament, Mm -hmm. they might be in a play-in game. But I've said here, I mean, even if you're counting the years where they were technically cheating, you've only made the NCAA tournament 14 times. It should be celebrated when you do. So for me to give it any type of C grade, I don't think that's fair. So I'm talking myself into a B. I'm going with a B. 22 wins and a win in the NCAA tournament. I can't complain about that at all. I think that that's pretty good. I know it was a weaker field, but you still did enough to get there. And when you were there, you won a game, and then you ran into a little bit of an injury bug, which just seems to be the ultimate (laughs) Minnesota thing across all sports. Can we... I say we as if I play for the teams, but we do. Can they just lose a game with like a full roster where you go, well, at least we maybe weren't the better team. It just seems like go for go for basketball specifically a few years ago at the Keem Springs. It just seems like they never have the full deck of cards, so to speak. But I'm going with a B. I'll throw it to James, then we'll finish with Daniel and segue into football. And I'm I'm gonna give this grade fully realizing that recency bias is involved with it. I'm gonna go B plus because I think where we were like three, four weeks ago after that Rutgers loss, and then they beat Northwestern, I believe, and but no one really felt good about it. Like you, you knew that they needed more wins, and they got those wins. They beat Purdue twice. They beat Penn State by the skin of their teeth. But then they beat Louisville, and and they 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 didn't have the full wins decade. a win, James. Wins a win. Wins a win. <laughs> Uh, but they also provided us moments. They they provided us with Gabe Kalsher having the game of his life against Louisville. The the Jordan Murphy checking out, which was a really emotional moment, and Dupree uh, with the fans at the end of the Louisville game. I, I I loved all of those moments, and I think that's the uh, what defined this season. So I'm going to go B plus because you ended so strong when you could have caved and possibly not even made the tournament. I'm going to go with the B. Those last 10 games or so kind of defined the whole grade. If they would have continued to go down the spiral, it probably would be closer to a C because they really underachieved Mm -hmm. at times in the Big Ten slate. But they showed a lot of resolve down the stretch, like you said, with staring down that game with Purdue and Michigan, those two games, you're going – I don't see how they can win any of those, and they're probably not going to make the tournament, but yet they found a way to win one of them. They went to the Big Ten tournament. They played a physical, hot, streaky Penn State team and managed to win and then pulled off a nice victory against Purdue. Beat Purdue twice, a team that's in the Elite Eight. I still can't figure out quite how that happened, Yeah, (laughs) but they made the NCAA tournament, like you said, only 14 appearances and that's just a crazy stat to me for go for basketball. It doesn't even feel like that's the case, but it really is. So the B, because they made the tournament, they figured it out at the end, but I still have a lot of questions about this program heading into next year. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. 
I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good time to segue into Golden Gopher football. The spring game comes up Saturday, April 13th. Daniel, you've been in and out of spring practice your impressions of what you're seeing and maybe a preview of what we'll be getting in the 2019 season coming off of another quick lane bowl championship, quick lane bowl champions. Let's go. (laughs) I've been impressed with the physical growth of the gopher football team going to practice the other day. PJ Fleck talked about at his press conference to open spring practice. He said his staff back to Western Michigan since 2013 has been tracking a lot of physical traits and metrics like combine testing kind of things and he said that this team shattered all of those numbers the best since 2013 and it wasn't even close and I wanted to see it for myself go to practice and and kind of look at the whole construction of the roster and what it looked like and I was so impressed with the offensive line the physical growth you think about how young they were last year but yet they have so much returning talent coming back this year that gained a lot of reps like Blaze Andres You've got Daniel Falele. You've got Curtis Dunlap, who played in the bowl game and you know didn't have to play much all last year. So really, you've got a lot of new moving you know pieces that have gained experience that are going to continue to get better this year. And they also added J.J. Gaudet, who's a, a freshman from Illinois, big 6'6", a tackle who's really, really kind of caught people's attention and developed fast. He came in and wasn't even close to playing weight and then just gained a whole bunch of physical strength. So the growth at all the areas is what I've really noticed. You mentioned a lot of players gaining experience last year. How beneficial do you think the new redshirt rule is, not just for the Gophers, but for the game of college football in general? Because technically you can play, what, a third of the season without losing your redshirt? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Gophers were playing a lot of a lot of guys in Wisconsin in the Wisconsin game, and in the quick lane bowl against Georgia Tech, and they had, of course, also some other smatterings of players. I mean, I would like to think you're going to see that, like you mentioned, not only in practice, but that obviously should translate over to actual game day. Well, see, that's a really good point because they did kind of use some of those younger players and different wrinkles down the stretch to kind of throw things at teams that they hadn't done during the season prior. So I look at the redshirt rule as you're getting guys occasional reps you don't have to worry about okay this guy's going to lose his red shirt we can't play him at all you get him that taste of it you understand what it's going to take for them to play at this level what do they need to improve upon and they kind of understand the speed of the game a little bit so the red shirt rule is definitely beneficial and the gophers are top 10 in returning talent this year nationally so that's definitely a statistic that benefits the future of the program because they've started by developing this team as a young group. They haven't done the transfer route. They haven't been building it that way. They have continued to recruit very hard, and they're recruiting out for the next three years already. And you you talk about returning talent, but how about just the the, the players that are returning from injury next year? You have yeah. Antoine Winfield Jr., probably the best defensive player on, on that gopher defense. And then also both running backs, uh, in they, they're coming back and adding other running like it I'm I'm really interested to see how that's going to work with Brooks and Williams coming back into a backfield that that was pretty good without them last year I thought 
So how do you think that's going to work in with, with all those players returning from injury? Well, you look at Winfield coming back alone. That's a huge part of the defense, mm-hmm. him being such an important aspect of the back, and he's such a great athlete. Like People don't understand the little things that he does because he's such an aware player. Like making little adjustments in the defense, you can move him all over the field. You can put him in the back end. You can put him in the box. He's a great tackler. You look at the play he made in the Fresno State game last year. Winfield's completely invaluable to that defense, so that's important. And then you mentioned the running backs coming next year. You got Rodney and Shannon. I don't think you can ever have enough running backs. Like I was telling somebody a while back, I was like, okay, well, Shannon might get hurt right away because Shannon has kind of had a tendency to get hurt. Mm -hmm. So having a lot of backs and a lot of – people to cycle through. Mo was incredible yeah, last year. Yeah, that's like, what I was going to say. You, you can't keep Mo off the field. He honestly is one of my favorite players to watch on this team. Like he does all the little things, right? He plays so hard. He runs like a bowling ball. Weird comparison, <laughs> but you, it's really tough to stop a bowling ball, right? He just hits people and and he goes. He's the ultimate. He might physically only gain a yard, but he's going to fall forward for two. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's that is huge over the course of a game for wearing down defenses. And, oh, just by the way, it's third and one or fourth and one. You need a yard. He's perfect for that. I'm convinced if you keep running Seth Green on fourth and one, teams are gonna, teams are going to figure that out <laughs> at some didn't. point. That 98 percent of the time he's running, yeah. but he is similar though. He's the same way. If he can get near the line, he almost always at least falls forward or pushes the pile. It worked brilliantly in the Wisconsin game yeah. for a touchdown run. I have no idea how that just kept working. Like it when they first unveiled, you know, Seth Green and in short yarded situations, or and sometimes just inside the twenty, just give it like Seth Green being the quarterback until the the goal line at that point i i just figured okay this is working this has worked a couple times and it just kept working and i didn't understand why why if teams couldn't stop it or if they just weren't they weren't scheming to stop it or why that just kept. well working. you have to honor the run too yeah. you don't want to get burnt on a big play but you also want to somehow stop what continues to work you look at how they kind of blended it in last year sometimes they overused it in games and so didn't too. work as well but when they were able to just dice it in just a little bit here and there. They were really successful with it because Seth Green, all he's got to do is plunge forward and get a yard. I mean, and he's tough to tackle. If you've stood next to Seth Green, you know how big he is, and you can't just like shoulder him or put your arm around his leg. Like you got to come in and make a play. You got to wrap up, and so that makes it kind of challenging. If I remember correctly, I think Northwestern defended that play really well. Northwestern came here and played just a, a typical Northwestern game. Nothing that they did really dazzled you, but I, I don't. I'm not positive they had a turnover. They might have had one, but that's typically in those pop up years for Northwestern. That's typically what they do. They play good defense. They control the clock. They don't turn the ball over. And they don't get penalized. It really is. I mean, not to turn this into Wildcats, the Score North Wildcats <laughs> show, but that's what they do well when they do that. I mean, it's it's admirable for I think other teams in similar situations like the Gophers who want to have those years where they pop up and they're playing in the Big Ten title game. What I've noticed under P.J. Fleck, and it's a narrative that I want to pick both of your guys' brains on Mm -hmm. because when I say narrative, I don't mean this negatively. There's just a part of me that gives it a little bit of a pause. I I don't think I'm I'm an idiot. When I look on the field, I see an entirely different athlete that hasn't been here, at least in my lifetime, right? But the one thing that you're getting there's like is somebody trying to come through the studio and get us every time i record a podcast something something happens this time i 
I think somebody's like drilling on it, the other side. Which, I thought it was someone's stomach rumbling or something. <laughs> what's but crazy I, it's not is bad. nobody can hear that, and I do the ultimate radio no no and just and draw just, attention to yeah. it. But you know what? It's a podcast, it's okay. so. It doesn't matter. What I'm getting at, no, the podcast matters. Oh, I should just shut up. <laughs> uh, take two. No, I'm just kidding. Um, where I'm going with this is the recruiting rankings. All you hear is, always oh, such a great recruiter, great recruiter. And, and he is. And I think we're seeing that on the field. But nationally, 41st overall, that's only ninth in the Big Ten. It's not like he's second or third in the Big Ten. That's the 2019 just from rivals. I'm only taking one one source here. 2018 right now it's early but 26th overall that's only seventh in the big 10 so i'm not trying to jump jump down him excuse me i know the evidence especially with where they started last year and where they got to obviously he knows what he's doing and especially the receivers i mean yeah i mean good golly i mean those those kids that's impressive we haven't seen athletes i have never seen athletes like that a receiver in minnesota from from being a fan and just following them for 20 years i've never seen that am i too negative in saying that i think maybe coach flex getting a little too much credit for how he's recruiting he should get the credit for how he's developing maybe not even the recruiting it would be, in my opinion, it's the development more than the actual kids he's bringing in. Yeah, you look at kind of how he re- recruited in comparison to the other staff, too. The number has went up a little bit in terms of national recruiting rankings. But like you said, the development has been the big key, finding those prototype players. And what I'm talking about is guys that have all the tools to be successful. They maybe don't have the massive production at the high school level or they have crazy numbers, and you can find a way to use them in a creative way. So trying to get as many athletes as you can, that's what he's trying to do. And then he's trying to take those prototypes and those players that have all of those gifts and find a way to use them in the offense and the defense and develop your scheme around the players. So yeah, the the, the difference I've noticed between the last staff and this staff is the type of player they're recruiting. The athlete the guy that's got especially let's just compare it to the defensive line okay the defensive line they've really emphasized guys with length the quick twitch just the the sheer powerful athleticism that you get them in the strength and conditioning program they develop it up those are the kind of players that they're looking for they're not going to go out and get the the five-star four-star you know polished guy they get some four stars occasionally and they have had success with that but that's what you have to do you have to get a couple four-star guys then you land that three-star guy with a lot of upside and continue to build him up, and that's exactly what P.J. Fleck's been doing. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not saying he should be top 10 national. I just always think it's it's crazy how how we hear, oh, he's such a great recruiter, and he is. I'm not saying he isn't. I just mm-hmm. think the narrative can be spun any which way you want it to, like I kind of just did. I look at 41st and go, well, again, there's 123 college football teams, so to me, great would be like top 10, but I also know – this isn't Alabama. This it's isn't tough, Michigan. Yeah. This isn't Ohio State. It's tough. It's tough when you have teams that are in the top 10 that are right in your conference. And what you said, too, Daniel, I think that's the most important part, and I think where he gets a ton of credit. It, it's, it takes forever to build a college football program. It really does. That's why these guys, for the most part, get four or five years unless the first three are just horrifically awful. But you need the threes, and you coach them up to fours. You get fours, you coach them up to fives. That's that's part of the process. That's, in my opinion, how you turn a program around. And also, too, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, what do these numbers really mean? You can you can get a four- or five-star kid who might actually only be a two or a three. You can get a two or three who, 
because this was of overlooked. Th- yep, of things that were missed, he's probably a little bit better than that. So it's not it's not a perfect way of evaluating it, anyways. But I think to your point, I think you kind of said it. It's it's a numbers game. You want the most athletes you possibly can, and then see what you can do with it. Anything to add to that before I switch to my next go for football topic? Well, you mentioned it just a little bit, but the idea that okay, you got to get those four star guys and you got to you got to take them to fives. They're starting to win a lot of those recruiting battles now. Where PJ's been here for a while, he he came in and he just kind of had to go. Okay, here we go. We got to get everything going. We got a new facility. We got all this stuff. Like he's trying to get settled. And now he's kind of built those relationships. So you see going down to Kansas and picking up Kai yep. Thomas, that was a huge recruiting move. The Midwest has been fun, actually. Illinois. He, he, he's, exactly. He's he's starting to take players, maybe, I don't want to say away, but maybe taking some players back. And I think that's a, that's a very good sign. I look ahead to next year, and I look at the schedule. There's, there's a tricky game early with Fresno State, and we don't have to play the wins and losses game. But I will say this, I do think there's opportunity. I, I, They won six games in the regular season this year. I'd like at least seven in the regular season next year. But I do see opportunity where if you avoid major injuries, you get some things to go your way. I, I think there's a chance they could win eight, maybe, maybe nine games. The The home schedule is pretty fun, too, if you're a fan. You get, you get a couple typical Big Ten games where maybe you're not the most excited but you also get Penn State at home. That's fun. You get Wisconsin at home, hopefully winning the Axe in back-to-back years. I think it could be a really fun year for Gopher football. At bare minimum, though, I'd like to see him at least go 6-6 six and six and get back to a bowl game at bare minimum. I think the thing this year, too, is that the West is wide open, in my opinion. I don't think you have – it's not like the East where you know which teams are going to be at the top. This year in the West, I could see Wisconsin having a better year if they can get a, a if they get a better quarterback in than Alex Hornibrook. If I could see Northwestern continuing to 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 be a good football team, I see a, maybe a comeback for Nebraska it, after having one of their worst seasons uh, in memory, and it was a lot of fluky stuff that was happening with the with the Cornhuskers last year. I see Minnesota as a team that that you would really have to watch it being the, in the at the top of the of the Western Division. But it just there's so many different things that could happen. The Gophers could have eight or nine wins, and it wouldn't surprise me. They could have six wins, and that wouldn't surprise me either. Well, you look at the West, too. You're getting a lot of different quarterbacks coming, and yep. you've got Hunter Johnson, the transfer from Clemson, is going to be playing at Northwestern this year. Graham Mertz is going to be at Wisconsin. He's a really, really talented quarterback uh, from this recruiting class. Mm-hmm. And then Nate Stanley's back with Iowa. You've got Martinez at Nebraska. There are some teams that could potentially break out this year, and I would put the Gophers in that category too. Zach Anikstead's the name to watch. I would say he has developed a lot in the last year and really elevated his game and could be the guy that emerges as the starter. So is it not fair to assume that Tanner Morgan is under center for that first game against South Dakota State? I, if I was betting in Vegas, I would put Anikstead as the starter right now. Oh, interesting. Can we bet on that in Vegas? I don't think we can. I don't can think we, we can. But. I don't think they have a line for that. Something tells me they're not interested in, in the Minnesota starting quarterback in in uh, in late March. Well, why wouldn't they be? The one thing I'll point out in the schedule that intrigues me, this probably isn't going to be the same Fresno State team that the Gophers just saw. I know they graduated a lot of people. I believe McMarion's Marion's gone. gone yep, yep. He's gone, too. But that's a very tricky early season road game. Yep. Entirely different time zone. Typically, from games that I've watched, and I watched an embarrassing amount of college football, just way too much. Fresno State typically they have 
pretty good turnout too. It's typically a decent crowd. That's that's not a gimme game. I, I can I'll say it this way: if the Gophers get through the non-conference at three and zero next year. I think that's a really good sign of where they'll be. And also, I know Georgia Southern was in a bowl game last year. Again, everybody makes a bowl game. I get that. But if they can get through that season, that part of the season at 3-0, and I think that's a really good sign because that's not an easy road. It wasn't an easy home game this year. That's not, in theory, going to be an easy road game to start the season. Well, yeah, and you have the wrinkle, too, with Georgia Southern. They got that option offense. You're going to have to start preparing for that. And PJ said this spring's a little bit different because they aren't trying to just build their culture and establish everything. Like, they had four offensive linemen for a while when he came (laughs) in in his first year. This year, they this is the first time I went to practice, and I'm like, they've got depth across position groups. They can actually run a practice. So they've had a lot more situational components, and they can prepare for teams like Georgia Southern. And like you said, Fresno loses McMarion, but they still have some talent. Keyshawn Johnson left, too. He's another guy that was a really good receiver and probably be a mid-round pick. They've lost some talent on offense. They've got some returning stuff on defense. So those first three games are a really big test. The Big Ten slate, the thing that intrigues me the most about their schedule, Illinois and Nebraska redemption games at home. After those blowouts last year, they're going to have those games circled. You know people, Daniel. Who do we have to talk to to get the bits of broken chair back? That we need we need to storm the Big Ten offices in Chicago if that's what it takes, or maybe are the offices in Chicago? I believe so. Yeah, I think it's Rosemount, Illinois. Let's start a road trip. Let's start a petition. <laughs> Let's get people because I want as many. I don't want to diminish them, but that one was so organic. It was what a rivalry trophy should be, and you know. I, I don't know what word to say. I'm not trying to think of a bad word, but just the fun stoppers at the Big Ten didn't want fun that stoppers. thing to take off, and that that's frustrating to me. Yeah, <laughs> the redemption game, it's it's interesting because Illinois yeah. is, I know the exact moment. I made the road trip to Champaign this year, and if you guys remember, I'm going to reenact it. There was honestly a minute P.J. Fleck just did this. Just stare at the 35-yard line. He did that for honestly a minute. I don't know if they showed it on TV. It was after, <laughs> It was after like, they must have given up, like, their 600th yard. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking at, about. I looked at my buddy and said, he just made the decision. He's firing Rob Smith. Yeah. Like, that was literally the and, – and you know it. I don't know if he would ever admit it, but that was literally the moment. I'm 100% convinced. He stared off at nothing for what was at least a minute, maybe two, and he knew. He just knew he had to do something because he was, he was losing it. It had spiraled so far out of control. We weren't yet doing the Score North Gopher show at that point, <laughs> but I I can tell you that would have been a hell of a post-game show if we would have done that. I bet the Gophers cover on that. I, I don't even remember what it was, but they were favored. The Gophers were favored in Illinois. It was like 10 and a half. Yeah, and then they just got the doors blown off by Lovey Smith and his his fighting a lot. So what I, I did, think Lovey got a contract extension after that game, right? Yeah, he did. What I did, by the Thank way, you. since this is a podcast and we're not streaming yeah, it, I, was, I put my arms on my on my knees <laughs> like TJ did that. and just stared at nothing. That's, I was going to say, that, that was a great reenactment for nobody who could see it. <laughs> well, I'm clarifying now, okay? So there we go. We'll post a but, video on Twitter so everyone can see that. And on my, Twitch. And, my yeah. absolute highlight, I do a road trip every year, and we just sometimes it's, it's a huge city, sometimes it's a smaller city for Golden Gopher football. We sat down next to an Illinois fan, and remember the Gophers were playing terrible. Illinois was playing terrible. And this guy sits next to us, and he says, oh, thanks for making the trip. And he's nice guy. And then he just looks at us and says, we're going to see some really stupid football today. <laughs> and boy, was he right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that game was just 
incredible for all the wrong reasons. I just can't. I, I honestly blocked a lot of it. For, <laughs> I, I can't remember things from that game. Though I just remember. I remember being upset with myself that why did I bet on the I, Gophers and then. Yeah, it, it was, was insane that game. It was it was nuts. It and was then, just a bunch of like really long plays, right? Like like re, like eighty yard runs, seventy five yard runs. Like the touched. average scoring play for like a few weeks for the Gophers is like teams are averaging like thirty four yards per touchdown. <laughs> well, and then if you remember correctly, all that saved the Gophers from giving up the most yards per rush in NCAA history was. They made one stop with like a minute left in the game and then maybe the kneel downs. Other than that, Illinois was dangerously close to having the, the, <laughs> the setting the NCAA all-time for record yeah. for yards per carry. And it was, I'll tell you what, it was quite the honor to be there for it. Because, I mean, not to, this will make me sound awful. By the third quarter, every time they hand the ball off, you're kind of just cheering for it. Yeah. Right at that point, you're like, ah, eh, you know, I feel bad for the players. I really do. I feel bad that the coach is stretching out not to spend 10 minutes on this topic. But, I mean, come on. I mean, at that point, you're kind of all in on it because yeah. it's comical at it was, that point. It was, so I have a similar thing. Um, I was in... Look at Daniel digging up stats, by the way. <laughs> I was at Camp Randall. He never stops. I was at it's incredible. Camp, I was at Camp Randall when Melvin Gordon broke the single-game rushing record, and it was against Nebraska... And it was snowing out. I remember all this because every single Melvin Gordon carry would go around the end of the offensive line and 80 yards for a touch. Every single carry. It was it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Nebraska, it was like Nebraska was running in in cement or something. And and every carry go around the end for a touchdown, around the end for a touchdown. And it was it was in it was incredible to watch. As a football guy watching that game going, what are the linebackers doing? What are the defensive ends doing? Quit losing contain. Where are your eyes? Like, I was just like, this is incredible. This is just an epic collapse of defense. And then Joseph Rossi walked into the building one morning and said, wow, we're going to simplify the defense down. Yes. Well, and that's what he said. He, quite frankly, just said, we're asking guys to do way too much. They're entirely confused when they're out there. And, I mean, literally, that was the turning point of the season. That led to beating Wisconsin. That led to being the first team ever to win multiple quick lane bowl championships, <laughs> which I will never, ever let go of. One final question, then we'll get out of here. Spring game, what do we actually expect for the spring game? It's it, Honestly, in my entire life, I'm going to spring games, which is eight or nine in a I've row. I've never been to one. Everyone is, everyone is different. I never have any idea what to expect. One year it was it wasn't even a game. It was more of just all offense versus all defense. Then we've had years where it was the clock's different. I never know what to expect. You mentioned something to me getting in the elevator earlier that the game might not maybe feature some of the I, the starters. I would say is that. Is that fair to say? Is that fair to surmise? Fleck kind of indicated he's going to consider maybe holding some guys out for the spring game. I don't know who that specifically will be, but you know, a lot of the veterans, you don't need to get them a lot of yeah. reps. So this is an opportunity to get your young guys out there and get them some experience. But I would expect this to continue to be a lot like a game setting like it was last year. He likes the situational components. You want to get guys used to playing in those moments and kind of create some chaos Put them in some different situations where you're in third and long and you've got to try to find a way to pick up some yardage. They like to do that, and they're going to do the draft uh, component this year where they draft the teams, and it's I believe it's cool. Rossi versus Shiraka again. How about this year. that? That's kind of fun. That's got to be fun for everybody it involved, is, right? But it creates a team component to it, too, that gets them all excited about the spring game, and then they've got the cup 
I think it's named after Sid, the spring game trophy cup. They give the MVP. Rodney Smith got it last year. So, yeah. That's all I got for you. Spring game. Spring game. Fun stuff. Right around the corner, Saturday, April 13th. Gentlemen, anything else to add? Because I'm all out of topics. I mean, we... We we already had me doing reenactments that yeah. nobody could see. So well, it's we probably, saw that's all that's probably important. time to go. I think one thing I just want to say to to wrap up just an incredible career for Jordan Murphy yep. and and Good point. we I I think we kind of took him for granted just his play because he, he played quiet like it was he he was enti- so energetic and so just he gave everything every single possession. But it, it just seemed like a while you look at the box score and wow, he had 20 points and 15 rebounds, and I didn't even notice that. But so I think his time came and went fairly quickly. But we saw one of the, I think, one of the top 10 for sure, maybe top five gophers of all time. I think what you said about playing so quietly, I yeah. think that's just because every day was so consistent mm-hmm. or every game was so consistent, and the numbers were always so big that doing incredible things just became the norm. It was something that, like, I never really truly appreciated how incredible it was to watch Jordan Murphy play for four years and watch all those games, all the high-energy things that he did, the stuff that doesn't show up in the box score, the rebounding, the little effort play, getting to the loose ball, but then showing up in the box score, too. Murphy, the moment with Murphy down in Des Moines, getting him out there, having that final curtain call, everybody chanting his name, you're like, wow, this seriously, you just watched a top, maybe top five gopher of all time play his career and it just ended the way it did was just kind of unfortunate. Yeah. But you gotta appreciate that guy was like made out of armor. You know how it ended was he didn't miss a game. And even till the end with his back injury, he didn't miss a game. Not one during his entire gopher career. That's insane. Mm-hmm. It was a very cool moment, and one would guess that at some point he'll be back for when they put his name all the way up in the rafters. I and agree. It, and it'll probably be a very cool moment. I don't imagine it being too far down the road. Also very cool, although it ended in a loss, the Golden Gopher women's hockey team. They fall in the national championship game, but I looked this up before we recorded. I think this is incredible. Since the year 2000, they've won seven national championships. More incredible than that, they've been to 14 Frozen Fours. That's that's awesome, and I just wanted to make sure that we got that in there. I watched a lot of the game. that The women's game has grown so much, and another plug, mm-hmm. if you've never seeing a game at Ritter Arena, you have to go. It's such a cool venue, and I'm saying that to everybody listening. So if you have a chance to go, check out the Gopher women next year at Ritter Arena. Certainly go ahead and do that. It is a great venue, and congratulations to them on another great season and another Frozen Four appearance. But gentlemen, at Murph underscore MN on Twitter, James Murphy, Daniel House, at Daniel House NFL on Twitter. I'm Ross Brendel, at Brendel Ross on Twitter. I think I got everybody's hashtags right. <laughs> I'm out of breath. I'm ready for some food, so I'm leaving. Jack's Pizza. Jack's Pizza. 24 minutes in go the get oven. Your pizza, baby. Let's go. Says Daniel House. Thank you, gentlemen. That'll do it for the Score North Gophers show. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk again very soon.
I'm here with Catherine Todero, Dean of Creighton University's College of Nursing. The Bureau of Labor projects that nursing will be the highest growing profession over the next decade. How is the university preparing to meet this demand? Creighton has done a number of things. One, we've increased our number of traditional nursing students, but we also offer accelerated education on three campuses in Omaha, Hastings Campus in central Nebraska, and our brand new campus, which is in Phoenix, Arizona. Learn more about all of the university's academic programs at Creighton.edu. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. Was she fired or did she quit? Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen reportedly went to the White House to meet with the president yesterday, not knowing if she was going to be fired. We're told she was not, but she did resign. AP Washington correspondent Sagar Magani. Nielsen was the president's most high-profile female department head. Her exit means both the Homeland Security Department and the Pentagon now have acting heads, as does the White House staff itself. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney says Congress will never get President Trump's tax returns. They know they're not going to get this. They just want the attention on the issue because they don't want to talk to us about policy. Mick Mulvaney was on Fox News Sunday. The California woman kidnapped in Uganda is free and in good health, say officials there, after what they call a rescue operation. There are conflicting reports about whether kidnappers were paid the ransom they demanded. I'm Rita Foley.